Hello, friends. My name's Tammy Simon, and I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I want to welcome you to the Sounds True podcast, Insights at the Edge. I also want to take a moment to introduce you to Sounds True's new membership community and digital platform. It's called Sounds True One. Sounds True One features original, premium, transformational docu-series, community events, classes to start your day and relax in the evening, special weekly live shows, including a video version of Insights at the Edge with an after-show community question and answer session with featured guests. I hope you'll come join us, explore, come have fun with us, and connect with others. You can learn more at join.soundstrue.com. I also want to take a moment and introduce you to the Sounds True Foundation, our nonprofit that creates equitable access to transformational tools and teachings. You can learn more at soundstruefoundation.org. And in advance, thank you for your support. Welcome, friends, to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Umpa Tutu Von Firth. Umpa is a preacher, an Episcopal priest, a teacher, writer, wife, mother, grandmother, and retreat facilitator. She's the daughter of anti-apartheid activists, Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu and Leah Tutu, and the founding director of the Desmond and Leah Tutu Legacy Foundation, dedicated to supporting projects that promote peace and reconciliation. Shortly after her marriage to Marceline Van Firth, in 2016, she handed in her license to officiate in the South African Anglican Church, as it does not permit its priests to marry same-sex partners. And that's something we're going to talk about. With her father, Desmond Tutu, Umpa has co-written the book Made for Goodness, and also the Book of Forgiving. Umpa is also a featured teacher in a new online learning series brought to you by Sounds True. It's called Unstoppable Joy, and it takes highlights from a very special conversation that happened between Archbishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness the Dalai Lama in Dharmasala. And that conversation was recorded. It became The Book of Joy, a book that has sold north of a million copies, national bestseller, as well as a popular film called Mission Joy. And now it's an online learning program. And Umpa, along with Tukdin Jimpa, the translator for His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and the co-author of the Book of Joy, Doug Abrams, is one of the featured teachers in this new course, Unstoppable Joy. And now let's meet Umpa Tutu von Furth. Umpa, welcome to Insights at the Edge. Thank you. In the very beginning here, I'd love to talk about your calling, your decision, if you will, your choice to become a priest in the Episcopalian Church. You mentioned that in the beginning of your life, in your early life, you never felt drawn to the priesthood like your father, but something shifted. What shifted? Um, I think 
what more what happened for me was that I recognized at a certain point that I had I was expending a lot of energy on why it was that I didn't want to be a priest. Um, and I noticed that I wasn't expending that much energy on why I didn't want to be a marine biologist. Um, and so I thought, well, there's a lot going on there. Let me investigate a little bit further what, what is going on. And um, that led me into a process of discernment um, and recognizing that um, actually so much of my joy was, was found in my ministries, um, in my work with, um, with mothers, with young mothers, in my work with um, survivors of rape and sexual abuse, in, in my work with um, children in marginalized communities. Um, and that those were the things that brought me the most joy. And, and ultimately my sense was that um, I run incredibly good programs, I'm you know, very, good at doing that kind of work, but that what I found to be most empowering um, for the people with whom I worked was what I found to be most transformational. And that that was the sense of um, the deep faith that drove my work. Tell me more about that, the deep faith, when you say that, when you use that word, what is that deep faith? How would you describe it? Um, I am a theist. I believe in God. Um, and for me, um, God is love as the you know simplest definition of uh, what is God? God is love. God is the love that that binds and unites us. Um, I have found that to be best expressed for me um, in the life and witness of um, Jesus Christ, and I am a Christian. Um, but as as my as my father um, wrote, um, God is not a Christian. Um, and so my, my Christian faith is the pathway that I have found to be the one that is most, um, that speaks most to me in, in, as the pathway to finding my way to love, um, to guiding me um, on that journey closer to God. You yourself have personally witnessed tremendous atrocities. You spoke even in the midst of your ministry, working with women who have experienced sexual molestation and abuse. And of course, you lived during a time of apartheid. Apartheid ended, if I understand correctly, when you were approximately 30, 31 years old. How do you 
maintain that sense of faith and God as a God of love in the midst of facing atrocities? Hmm. Um, God is a God of love. We as human beings are not necessarily always attuned um, to God's love and not always attuned to the fact that what we are created for is to be loving beings, to be expressions of love. We are created out of God's love to be expressions of love. Um, and, and so very often um, we act in ways that are um, absolutely counter um, to the path of love. Um, we act in ways that are counter to the path of love in small ways and in large ways. So um, the way in which we're ravaging our planet um, would be one example of actions counter to love. Um, the fact of war, the fact of um, rape and incest and child abuse, the fact of... Um, um, of, you know, kind of all of the criminality that we see in the world, um, the fact of, of abuse of workers, the fact that we have um, refugees, um, both internally and, um, the, and, you know, sort of dispersed throughout the world. All of those are, are examples of how far short we fall of, um, living out of that sense of a being loved um, first and foremost and being lovable because we are loved um, and b um, the the sense that um, all other beings are also loved beloved created out of love um, and are uh, expressions of God's creative love. Um, and, and so we uh, act in ways that um, diminish one another, that, that um, we treat creation as being less than it actually is. You mentioned knowing that we're lovable because we're loved, we're loved by creation, we're loved by God. And I know you co-wrote with your father, Made for Goodness. And yet I think so many of us at some level don't feel lovable. Something in us is like, really? You know, something that happened early in our life, we formulated this belief, there's something inherently, truth be told, if you get underneath it all, there's something wrong with me. How in your teaching and in your preaching, can you help people open up to that sense of being unconditionally loved? Um, it is, it's simple and because it's simple, it's really difficult <laughs> um, as simple things are want to be. Um, we tend to get it uh, twisted we we um, think that our task is to work to be deserving of love. 
um, to be deserving of God's love, to be deserving of the love of those around us. Um, but it kind of begins with that um, notion that we have to do something to earn or deserve God's love. Um, and if we get it right, and, and um, then we understand that we can do nothing to earn or deserve God's love, we, we have it. It's a free gift. We, that, that just came with the um, package. You know, we got um, delivered into God's love. That, that was just, it just is. Um, and our task in life is to live as beloved people, as um, to live our gratitude for that love. Um, but as you say, it's really hard to get into ourselves the reality that we are beloved. And for, um, for so many people, um, experience in the world challenges that from the word go. Um, they, they came into the world as a result of, um, of, of unhealthy relationships. Um, all they have experienced in life has been hardship and distress. And, and so it's really um, an, an uphill battle to be able to claim that actually I am beloved and I am deserving of all the joy that comes to me because I am beloved. And the good that I do um, is not in pursuit of love. The good that I do is, in fact, in gratitude for what has already been given to me as birthright. And in, in my preaching, um, that is something that I, I, I say and I emphasize over and over and over again, that each of us has as birthright um, God's love and that we are called to act as those who know themselves to be loved. Um, I, I was um, over the weekend with um, some, some friends, relatives of, of um, well, actually my relatives, because they're relatives of my wife, but, um, but um, it, it was a, a couple, you know, kind of um, older than me. Um, and the, 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 the thing that I loved or I you know, thoroughly enjoyed about watching their interaction was just how evident it was that this man just loved his wife and how um, radiant, you know, just, she, she just seemed to be like, a flower open in the presence of this, this man who so obviously loved her. Um, and the, 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 the thing is that when you're so obviously loved, um, you, you, 
come at life from a different direction. Um, you come at life with the expectation that 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 what I am doing doesn't decide whether or not this person is going to love me. Um, and so I can, you know, I, I do the loving thing just naturally, um, just easily. I ju that's just what I step into. Um, and I think that if we as a world ever got even a, a, a hint of the incredible love with which God loves us, um, we would be living in such a different world than we do now. Um, we would know that um, we have access to so much more than we than we think we do. That we um, we have no no need to hold on with clenched fists to the good that we have. Um, that we would know that um, there is infinite love available for all of us and that, um, that we would be able to pass on that infinite love to one another. Mpa, you know, I'm going to take this even a little further because, you know, in my own life, it's taken so many decades to actually discover the goodness that I am. It's been such a long and difficult journey, and yet I've had so much support and kindness and generosity from so many people along the way. And I know how hard it is. It can be, especially if we've had difficult uh, childhood, difficult family, early upbringings, to really get this sense of our own purity inside, our own goodness inside, our own golden quality. So for that person who's listening, who says, God, I think I'm going to go replay what Umpa just said again and again and again, so I can hear it again and again and again. But the truth is, after they replay it a couple times, they're going to be on their own. And they're going to be working with themselves in their life. What do you suggest? How can people make this realization of our inherent goodness, something that's their own, genuinely? So um, that and that for me is that piece of having a faith journey, um, and a, a faith journey is ultimately um, what what faith is trying to teach us. What all faiths are ultimately trying to teach us is our way to God. Is our way to love. Um, is the path to follow to to get to that that understanding and that grasp of God. So you know how um, uh, if you want to climb a mountain, um, you can follow the beaten path, um, but you don't have to. You can kind of go up the you know any other path that you want to. You can make your own path up the mountain. Um, what faith is, is a little bit of the beaten path. Um, it, say, it doesn't say, okay, well, you're going to get up, the, you'll get to the top of the mountain if you follow this path. It just says you're more likely to find your way to the top of the mountain if you follow this path. Um, other people have 
got to the top of the mountain following this path. So if you follow it, your chances are you know, a little bit higher that you'll make it to the top. Um, if you, you forge your own way up the mountain, there's a chance that you will also get to the top of the mountain and it may work better for you to forge your own path up the mountain. Um, but, you know, um, you can lean on the experience of others. And so whether that is following the, um, the Christian faith, which, I, I, which is the path that I'm, I'm following to find my way up the mountain and to help me as I, as I, as I stumble, um, or it is um, reaching out for resources from other faith communities that, you know, these are, um, people have done this before. People have found their way to love before. Um, people have gone through hardship and um, created resources that, that are there to help us um, to, to find the path that leads us to love. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, Umpa, you married a woman in 2016, and there was a series of events, repercussions that came from that decision related to your ability to officiate in South Africa. Can you share with us a bit what happened? Did, were you aware when you got married that this would be the domino effect, that this would occur? Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, 2015, uh, we got married. Um, okay. And, um, and at the, so we got married in December, 2015 and then 2016, the, the, um, house of the, the, the bishops of the South African, um, province church of the province of Southern Africa had a meeting, um, at which they decided that, that the bishop of Saldana Bay, where I was serving under license, must revoke my license to officiate. Um, but before the meeting and before I married, um, I contacted the bishop. Um, as I said, I was I was serving under license in Saldana Bay, but I'm canonically resident in I was still canonically resident in the Diocese of Washington in the United States, so still a priest in good standing. Um, and I contacted both my bishop in Washington to say that I was remarrying. We said, you know, wonderful, great, um, all of my blessings for you as you um, go into your marriage. Um, and then the bishop of Saldana Bay uh, to say, yes, I know what the canons say in South Africa. I'm not trying to start something for you as as bishop, I, I, but I want you to know that this is coming up and it's going to be crossing your plate. And is there anything that you want me? You know, I I I I'm I'm informing you. I'm I don't you know I don't need you. I'm not trying to put get you in trouble. I'm, but this is what I'm going to do. Um, and he said, actually, it's a conversation that we have been 
shoving under, you know, kind of being pushing off until the next meeting, next meeting, next meeting in, in, in the church of the province. And it's actually a, a, a conversation that really needs to become a front and center conversation for us. And, you know, you go and get married with my, with my blessing. And then when I, um, when I came back from um, the Netherlands, because I had married here in the Netherlands, he, um, he, he asked to come and see me, um, which, you know, kind of hierarchically, he could have summoned me to his office and said, you know, you know come to my office and I will, whatever. But um, he, he asked to come and see me and I, I knew what he was coming to see me for. Um, and I said, you know, that rather than have you revoke my license, I am going to hand it in to you. Um, it just, it, it doesn't, you know, a distinction without a difference, but a distinction um, indeed, and, and the uh, distinction with an emotional difference, um, to which he said, as long as we both understand that this is temporary. Um, I am only taking, I'm only um, accepting your license um, as a temporary gesture. Um, yes, I, I knew that my license was likely to be revoked. Um, and even so, um, the, the emotional impact of that was, was for me unanticipated. Um, as, as you said in the introduction, I was the founding executive director of the Desmond and Leah Tucci Legacy Foundation, and that was my primary ministry. And so my, my ministry as a priest in the diocese was, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't my, my primary ministry. It wasn't how I earned my income. It, it was really, um, the place from which I um, I served with great joy, um, but it really was painful um, to hand back my license uh, when when my father became Archbishop of Cape Town. Uh, he said that there were three things that he wanted to um, to accomplish as part of his archiepiscopacy. He wanted to um, uh, see um, the end of apartheid. He wanted um, the ordination of women, and he wanted full inclusion for um, LGBT plus people in the in the in the Church of the Province of Southern Africa. Um, two of those were accomplished during the time of his archiepiscopacy. Um, and as a result of that, I was able to um, serve at the communion table at the altar with my father. And that was a, a wonderful and meaningful experience for me. Um, and, and so the revocation of my, my license, um, yeah, even though effectively um, it, it had no great import um, emotionally. It was, um, uh, yeah, 
it it was it it felt cataclysmic. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine, so I'm imagining this, but the faith journey home, the home of that journey of goodness and love is now saying to you that your marriage, which is also uh, the center of one's heart, at least that it's the way it is in, in my life. My marriage with my wife is the center of my life as well as my love of God and faith journey to somehow perhaps those things somehow be in conflict is seems extremely uh, excruciating to me. That's what I imagine. Yeah, it and it it was, <laughs> um, it was it was excruciating. Um, but you know, as I as I say over and over again, you know, when in doubt, choose love. And for me. Um, choosing love was choosing for my marriage with my wife. Now, you mentioned that your father had these three agendas, two of which were accomplished, and this third one, the full inclusion of LGBTQIA plus members as priests, as ministerial uh, representatives, now it's on you in a way. Your event has catalyzed this uh, in South Africa. How do you see that un- unfolding? Do you feel in a way that's part of you carrying forth and enacting the next phase of his legacy, what what he left undone, you're doing now? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I've never thought of it that way. Um, but okay, I'll take that. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, for, for, um, my, my father has at least as long as I have been alive, been, um, had been intimately engaged in justice work. Um, and his work for justice was absolutely driven by his faith. Um, that you know that was that was how his faith was expressed. Um, my my work for full inclusion is is maybe it's a little more self interested. I don't know. Um, I, I, I've never understood, um, you know, even in, in, during the course of my, my um, first marriage, which was to a man, I never understood the exclusion of people um, from full participation in the community um, for reasons of... Um, gender or sexual identity or um, uh, sexual yeah, preference. Um, that didn't, it never made sense to me. It still doesn't. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether I take this as the piece of his legacy that is my task to carry on. 
um, it does feel like, okay, this is, this is part of my work. This is part of, um, of who I am. I'm going to share something now. I wasn't necessarily thinking I would, but this conversation is asking me to. It's a little confessional here, but, you know, obviously I'm very public about talking about my wife and, you know, I've been married now and in this relationship for 21 years. But when I was a young person, when I was 20, I remember lying on a healer's table and this healer saying to me, you know, you are 100% loved and accepted, even as someone who loves women, Tammy. That is true. And I remember crying and just lying on the table and crying and being, I am loved and accepted. And I didn't even know that I thought I wasn't, but I did think some part of me thought I wasn't okay because of growing up uh, in the culture. So I think in terms of connecting these ideas of our innate goodness and having the institutions around us, especially our faith institutions, affirm that. It's actually really, it's so important. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, that, you know, um, um, God knows what God is doing. God, God, God created each of us in the ways that God has created us to be the people we are, because we're exactly the person that God wants us to be. Um, and it is, there is a way that, that we have of expressing that love that is unique to us, that is the unique beauty that we bring into the world. No, Mpa, I never had the chance to meet your father. I feel uh, that I missed I missed that opportunity. It never came in my life. But I feel like I'm meeting him through the film Mission Joy and now the Sounds True online program Unstoppable Joy. And I'm meeting him through you. And so I would love to know as I meet Archbishop Desmond Tutu through you, if you could uh, help me in that meeting, the way you know, understand, and love your father. Um, yeah. I, I think what my mother, my mother says now um, they, my parents were, were married 67 years before my dad died. Um, and, um, and my mother says now I, that she is discovering so much about my father that she never knew or saw or experienced. Um, and I think that, that, one of the gifts for those of us who were close to him and his family had lived with him day to day um, are having is um, in the stories that, that people tell of their encounters with him. Um, he was hilariously funny. Um, he was really um, smart 
Um, I remember um, going to seminary and in every single one of my seminary classes, um, having either he was quoted or there was um, a paper he had written that we were assigned to read or there was something that he had done or um, compiled. And, it, I, you know, it was just a whole new vision of who this person was that, that opened out to me as, as being a seminarian um, that I'd never, before I went to seminary, I'd never taken him seriously as a theologian, um, which sounds maybe ridiculous, but he was absolutely um, an incredible theologian. Um, and that his, his um, in his writing as much as in his praxis, um, a, 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 a theologian of note. Um, I, he was incredibly courageous and I think that, um, that, that, that courage is exactly the right word, um, because it's not bravery. It is, um, uh, uh, a mode of action that comes first from the heart, the cur, the um, you know, so a person of heart, um, and that he would do things that looked brave, but they weren't. They were courageous. Um, that it was stepping up on behalf of others. Um, or stepping out on behalf of others, sticking out his neck on behalf of others. Um, and that he was um, just incredibly warm and fun to be with. Um, <laughs> on, on our way back from, um, from Dharamsala, from that trip, we, my, my father was going to attend uh, the funeral for one of his brother bishops um, in, the, in the U.S. And um, the, the, uh, the town in which we were was hosting a festival, so there weren't a whole lot of hotel rooms. And um, we ended up, my wife, <laughs> um, my father and I, sharing a room, sharing a hotel room to you know, two beds in one room. Um, and it was incredible um, how little space that he took up. He's, in, he's very neat. He was very neat, um, but also very, um, very contained. Um, he, you know, could absolutely... Um, it, 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 it's almost like um, folding in on himself. Um, so, you know, we arrived, he had his time of prayer, he, he was going to be quiet, um, you know, getting up in the morning, he'd get up in the morning and he would um, exercise, kind of marching back and forth and, and inside, 
the room, walking back and forth inside the room was his, um, you know, because he couldn't go out for a, a walk or a jog or whatever. Um, but it was, you know, it was just, it, it could have been acutely uncomfortable um, to to be in that space together. And yet it, it just wasn't. Um, it, he's, yeah, he, he was a, a remarkable person. Um, and I think it was, um, da, 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 can't remember his name. It's just, it's gone from my head right now. It'll come back. Who described my dad as the smallest giant. Um, that, that, you know, that he was a, a, a giant on the world stage, but that he was really tiny. Um, but he was also, um, yeah, gigantic in the sense of care for others and small in the sense of um, just not grasping, not not greedy or grabbing, just always, um, yeah, willing to contain himself. I mean, we used to, um, when, when, when we drove, um, my, my brother and my sisters were in boarding school in Swaziland and we would drive from the Eastern Cape to Swaziland, um, and, on the drives, um, at some point, my dad would say, okay, I'm going to disappear. And he would disappear in plain sight, which just meant he was being quiet and, and taking his prayer time. And so we could, you know, go on and have our conversations and so on and so forth, as long as we weren't, you know, trying to talk to him. And it, it's that kind of the, the, balance between being able to be so contained um, and yet um, also being able to be yeah larger than life that he could walk into a room and you know just fill the place you you know you'd hear him laughing um, <laughs> all the way down the hall that's very helpful. Uh, thank you. The smallest giant that helps sort of attune me. I think the question, though, that I'm still left with, and after watching the film Mission Joy and seeing the tremendous humor and playfulness between His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, I was like, what is the source, really, of this overflowing joy and banter and playfulness. And it still feels quite honestly a little mysterious to me, especially how these two great holy figures in the face of so much systemic oppression grew in their age to be such fountains of lighthearted, bubbly, humorous joy. And I wonder what your explanation of that is. Um, yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, the, yeah, I, I think, um, that in part, um, that the joy begins in that, 
um, in that centering, in that strong sense of themselves um, and of um, that they don't need to occupy uh, a huge amount of space in the world, um, but that they are so deeply resourced with love. Um, and I think both of them, um, and I know certainly my, well, I know certainly my father um, was very um, connected to himself, um, that he laughed easily, but he also cried easily. Um, and that he um, didn't, yeah, he didn't think too highly of himself. Maybe <laughs> that that he, his his times of quiet and reflection um, allowed him to have a very clear sense of of who he was and his own limitations. Um, but that because he had that strong sense of who he was and his own limitations, that he was also um, open to um, open to others, that, that um, yeah, that he could be open to others because he knew kind of where where he ended, where his boundaries were. I think that sometimes um, arrogance makes us quite joyless um, and thinking too highly of ourselves makes us quite joyless. Um, and being too stuck on the supposed of life um, can make us incredibly joyous. It puts so much pressure on us. Um, and I think having as the single centering rule um, that, yeah, that I'm here to love um, is, is a source of incredible joy. Well, I think now we're getting into the answer to my question. I'm here to love because, you know, I notice sometimes when people talk about being joyful, it feels a little bit to me like I'm putting something on on the outside, you know, like I'm like I'm trying to put lipstick on my situation, like, you know, and it's not that I don't think there's so much, there's a lot of value in practicing gratitude and finding the things to appreciate. It's true. But often I notice in my authentic self, often I don't feel joyful. I wish I did more. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for how can I be wholly authentic and more joyful. And, you know, Mpa, I thought you could actually help me and our listeners with this because you've gone through so much you know, as I've learned more about your life story, uh, you know, tremendous losses and uh, a huge trespass that you write about in the book of forgiving. And yet 
here you have a, a natural, joyful presence. So tell me more about this notion of I'm here to love, and that's connection that then comes to being naturally joyful from that. Well, it's a it it's a helpful reference. I I mean I I find it as my ready reference point. I'm here to love, um, and if I you know, what whatever it is that I'm doing, um, is this loving? If I'm you know if I'm questioning, do I turn right? Do I turn left? Or do I go straight ahead? What what is what? to me is the most loving thing to do in this moment. Um, what is the most loving thing? Um, what is the thing that is most loving for myself? Um, and what is it, what is most loving for my surroundings? So when I'm, when I'm juggling conflicts, um, it, it, it's still, what is the most loving thing? Um, and, when 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 i when i do the most loving thing you know even if the most loving thing that i can do right now is go and take a nap um because i'll be uh, you know a much nicer person for the rest of the day if i do that um then you know that's the thing that i that's the thing that i need to arrange my life to be able to do um, because that is absolutely the most loving thing. Um, and um, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I look at the schedules of His Holiness and, and my dad, and both of them had, you know, real significant chunks of this time I am, I am reserving to myself um, to be quiet to be prayerful, to be meditative. This time, you know, like, you know, nobody's allowed into this chunk of time because this is the chunk of time that I need to be in my own space. And I think that, um, that for many of us where we are living so much on fast forward and go, 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 um, that we never get a sense of um, who and how we are at our most, at our most loving. And yeah, is is I think that's maybe the best advice I can give for anyone who is seeking their joy is. Um, check in. Is this the most loving I can be? Is this the most loving thing I can do? It's beautiful and very helpful. And I just want to ask if you can make something even more explicit, which is how to hold that question and that viewpoint, what's the most loving thing? As you're working for justice in a situation, and it's clear that in the face of injustice, there can be a rising sense of this is wrong, this is bad, I'm angry. And then this question, what's the most loving thing? How, how does that alchemy work in you? Mm. Um, 
well, maybe I can do a half circle back and just say, you know, kind of how watching that alchemy work in, in my dad, um, you know, just uh, in, in, in South Africa over June the 16th, which was the anniversary of the Soweto uprisings when um, children went out to protest the, um, the, the government deciding that Afrikaans was to be the medium of instruction in black schools. And many children were killed by police. Um, and for several years after 1976, each year there would be a commemoration of the June 16th uprisings. It was then it became a time when the government would have another crackdown and there would be um, more tumults, often more deaths um, at the hands of police. And I remember on one of those occasions that, um, you know, seeing my dad trying to mediate between police and um, and crowds of, of young people and the um, and asking the police to show restraint and um, you know and asking them to just allow the young people to disperse, which they did. Um, and his uh, saying on camera, you know, I have to commend the police for for the restraint with which they with which they um, acted or for the, the for for showing restraint. And um, saying to to me afterwards that yeah you know if you're going to criticize them for what they do wrong you have to be sure that you also commend them when they do something right um, and it's that kind of lived sense of um, you know what what does love look like in that moment love looks like um, being able to say both, yeah, you 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 messed up here, but also you did this right. And I think very often we kind of we get so locked into our camps as justice workers that we um, we fail to see the people across um, on the other side of the issue from us as people. Um, as as people who um, who as as wrong headed as we believe them to be are still people with cares and concerns and needs and desires and loves and um, dislikes just like us um, and that uh, that that it is so important to hold on to that sense that even if I disagree with you from the absolute core of my being, um, I don't have to be disagreeable. Um, I, I can um, disagree without, um, without personalizing or attacking um, or demeaning or diminishing. Um, you know, now you um, you 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 see kind of with the with the war in Ukraine, for instance, um, the 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 war in Ukraine has has kind of become a war between Putin and Ukraine. So it 
you know, is kind of collapsed into one person, you know, and so then you, um, the ways that you talk about or that we talk about Putin are so demeaning and diminishing that it kind of closes the space for negotiation or or a peaceful settlement to to this to this war to this conflict and that you know how we talk about people actually matters um and you know if we if we talk about people as um people with however wrong-headed their their concerns um they are still people with whatever concerns it is that they have and that if we want to be able to um, create peace and justice in our world we need to open out the spaces for conversation rather than close them down unnecessarily umpa i just have two final questions for you one has there been any bitterness in your own life that was really, really hard for you to work through? And how'd you do it? Oh, yeah. Um, bitterness is, is, is actually, um, is not my, my, flavor i that it, it's just i mean um it, and and that may be um constitutional um you know that that i'm not constitutionally inclined to to bitterness i think i i i probably um internalize um and uh, so psychologically i i that's not one that I'm I'm good at describing. Um, right. It's not, Maybe a lack it's of forgiveness one. would be a better. I could use that uh, instead. Some type of lack of forgiveness that you, you know, some way that you maintained a, a position of judgment, but at a certain point, you did break through it. And how did that happen? Um. Yeah. Um. I don't know um, that I would mm, speak to a specific um, um, place of, of, of struggling with, with unforgiveness. Um, and I think maybe part of the grace that I have had in my life um, has been having people around me who have allowed me to tell my story um you know sort of regardless of what that story was to be able to tell my story enough times for me to be able to process it and to kind of move through that forgiveness process of telling the story and naming the hurt um, that 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 I have been really blessed and privileged to have in my life people who who have been willing to listen to me say the same thing over and over and over again. And then just a final question. When you do your own version of disappearing inside, 
disappearing into your own prayer life. Would you be willing to share with me, just give me a taste of what that's like, where you go, what's happening? Um, I have um, a couple of modes of disappearing. One of them is that I, I say the daily offices. So there's um, morning, evening, and noonday prayer. I typically um, use the official morning prayer. And then in the evening, I pray the Compton, which is also one of the daily offices, which I love. And my wife, who's an atheist, will uh, will listen to me praying the Compton. Um, but sometimes it's um, what, what, what I'm finding speaking to me in my prayer life now um, is, um, is actually placing my hand on my heart, um, and, um, breathing my prayers. Um, so if there are people for whom I'm particularly concerned or situations that are, um, are on my mind, then just placing my, my hand on my heart and either, um, saying aloud or just allowing those people or situations to kind of run through my mind um, as be, yeah um, as, as my expression of prayer. Umpa Tutu Van Firth, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us here on Insights at the Edge and for your loving presence. Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Umpa Tutu Van Firth. What a loving presence. Thank you so much. Umpa is part of Sounds True's new online learning program. It's called Unstoppable Joy, and it features highlights from a recorded conversation at Dharmasala in India with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Those highlights are then folded into a new online learning program with Tupton Jimpa, longtime translator for His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Doug Abrams, who's the co-author of The Book of Joy, more than a million copies sold based on this conversation. And Umpa is also one of the featured teachers in this course. You can learn more at SoundsTrue.com. Thanks everyone for being with us. Sounds True, waking up the world. And if you'd like to watch Insights at the Edge on video and participate in after the show Q&A conversations with featured presenters and have the chance to ask your questions, come join us on Sounds True One, a new membership community that features premium shows, live classes, and community events. Let's learn and grow together. Come join us at join.soundstrue.com. Sounds true. Waking up the world.